Please be seated. As you are seated, we'll be turning to, if you will, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. That'll be our, our uh, Pentecost Day uh, sermon or text. So here we are on Pentecost Sunday. This is the day we remember a rushing wind, a rushing mighty wind from heaven, tongues of fire descending on the apostles, and then men from all over the known world hearing of the wonderful works of God being spoken, what? Being spoken in the language of which they were born. I entitled this sermon Pentecost, the Troop Deployment. It is here on Pentecost Sunday that we see even a more wonderful fulfillment of the Old Testament redemption stories. You remember where it started. After celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus willingly offers himself as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Then three days later, three days later, Easter Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. And what's he do? Well, remember from our sermon that day too, he takes a bride of harlotry takes a bride of harlotry. We are that bride. Then for the next 40 days, Jesus lives. He walks them with his bride. He lives with them. And then finally, 40 days later, he ascends. He ascends to his heavenly throne. Upon his ascension, or before his ascension, he tells his disciples what? All power in heaven on earth has been given to him. Therefore, therefore, go make disciples of the nations. Well, 10 days after his ascension, or 50 days from that Passover, comes the Pentecost feast, which celebrates the harvest of first fruits. It was at this time that the Jews and proselytes from all over gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate God's goodness. What did they do? They ate the first summer fruits. It was on this occasion that the Spirit that God sent his spirit, and what's he do? He's got a different, he's got a different harvest in mind, namely new disciples. So the spirit was sent to the apostles that they might utter wonders of God. And this begins the ingathering of the men until the end of the age. The spirit was sent to gather these men who had gathered for a time in Jerusalem so that they who had gathered a time in Jerusalem that they might return to their lands of birth, even after they had been born again, but now with new allegiance to heaven. These men and all others who the Spirit blows upon, they are God's mighty army that is deployed to advance his kingdom. They are to take possession of the promised land. I'm not talking about that narrow strip in uh, the Middle East. They are to take possession of a land that has been promised to them, namely the entire world. As such, the fire would spread and God's kingdom would expand to all nations, tongues, and tribes. Before looking at the text, this glorious text, let's pray for illumination. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for the events of Pentecost Sunday, now these 2,000 years earlier. Father, we pray. Grant us wisdom. Grant us wisdom to understand the text. Grant us wisdom to see how we shall now live. 
Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, as one sat on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these who speak Galileans? And how is it, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, Ah, they're full of new wine. Thus ends the reading of God's word. In verse 1, we learn that, on this, Pente that this Pentecost had fully come. In what, in what way had this Pentecost fully come? Well, from the time that God gave the Israelites his law, remember, 1,300 years earlier, the Pentecost feast, or the ingathering, this was the ingathering of the first fruits, and it had never been celebrated like this before. Think about the ancient world for a minute. In the ancient world, there was no Walmarts, there was no stores that would carry fresh, fresh produce year-round from southern continents, especially in the winter months. Thus... Every spring, the Jews were sure to rejoice, finding fresh produce that had just ripened after a long, dark winter. All other Pentecost feasts were concerned with enjoying what? Lettuce, fresh lettuce, fresh cucumbers, asparagus, strawberries. This was good indeed. But these earlier feasts were only a precursor to this wonderful harvest that they were now experiencing, that they were now seeing. What God had in mind was to rescue a people from himself, for those who have been in darkness of sin for too long. As this harvest begins of these first fruits, notice in verse 1, the disciples were in one accord and in one place, in Christ indeed. We are unified like them. We are his disciples, and we should seek this unity. For you've heard it before, right? We have one baptism. We have one faith. We have one Lord, and he now reigns. Have a look at verse 2. There came a mighty rushing wind from heaven and filled the entire house. 
Did not Jesus tell Nicodemus? In John, in John uh, chapter 3, about this rushing wind that would blow wherever it wishes, consider the wind. You do not see the wind. You don't see the wind. What you see is you see the effects of the wind. You see the effects of the wind upon the trees or whatever else is blowing around. We do not see the spirit, but we see its effects upon others. If we are to be born again, this wind, the Spirit of God, needs to blow, where? Upon our cold, dead souls. To bring life where there once was death. Remember, Nicodemus was a teacher. He was a teacher in Israel, and Jesus should say, Jesus said to him, you should know about these things, Nicodemus. He was clueless. How should Nicodemus know about these things, about wind blowing? Well... One such passage is Ezekiel, isn't it? Ezekiel 37, where the prophet has a vivid vision of a rushing wind and its effects. You remember from Ezekiel's vision, what's he see? He looks out in this valley. He sees a valley of dry bones. The only vestige of dead men that's left. And then the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of resurrection, blows. And these bones are brought back to life. They're given rebirth. Speaking about birth, remember back to the original creation account. God took and formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then what does he do? He breathes on him. He sends his spirit. He sends his spirit from heaven and gives Adam life. Now back to Acts chapter 2. With this context of rushing wind of the breath of God, 10 days, 10 days after ten days before Pentecost, Christ ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven, he assumed his throne. How do we know that he, how would they know that he's currently ruling this world? Would this heavenly reign have any impact upon this world? Well, indeed it does. Ten days after assuming this throne, what does he do? King Jesus dispatches. He dispatches the spirit to come back to earth. To do what? To recreate this world. His first act of recreating this world is to, is to recreate a people. You know, remember what the Apostle Paul says? He reminds the Galatians that we in Christ are new creations. So the writer of Hebrews refers to the saints as sons of glory who are being brought to the captain of their faith and being sanctified. This is us, new creations, sons of glory. Back to Ezekiel's passage for another, another taste here. The prophet speaks, remember? The wind blows, the bones start to rattle, they're covered with sinews and flesh. Those dry bones were the remnant of men who were cut off from God. They had lost all hope of any new life. Now they've been given this new life, but for what purpose? What's their purpose? A little sarcasm here, if you don't get it, right? Were they coming to live their best life now? Is that what they were doing? Were they to gather in a holy huddle with other saints? No. The answer is much bigger and broader than that. To answer this question, we go back to the garden. Remember what the first Adam was, was told to do and all of us in his stead? They were given a cultural mandate. What did it say? 
Go multiply. Go subdue. And go take dominion of this earth. All for God's glory. But with sin entering the world, Adam and his descendants were incapable of fulfilling this cultural mandate in a God-honoring manner. Adam's sinful descendants have been multiplying, and they have been subduing the world, and they've been ruling it. But they haven't been doing it in a way that would please God. Have a look at their rule. Have a look at what godly men, Adam's descendants, ungodly men and Adam's descendants have been doing. When they rule, it's tyranny. They brought suffering and they brought death. Now, we have the second Adam. Jesus Christ, who has perfectly obeyed his Father, he has shown himself faithful. He is leading the charge to retake possession of this world from the wicked. This is a colossal battle. A battle of the ages between the sinful descendants of Adam and those recreated sons of God. As King Jesus has been seated, he sent the Spirit. The Spirit has come. The Spirit is assembling an army. For this is the message. This is the promise of Ezekiel's vision of dry bones. Back to Acts chapter 2 now. Look at verse 3. This wind or Spirit has filled the whole house where they're sitting. Do you remember when the Spirit has also filled another house? Well, the temple that Solomon built. The, the, the house that had God's name on it. The Spirit came in with its Shekinah glory that filled this whole house such that the proceedings of the dedication had to be stopped. They couldn't carry on. Well, to the Pharisees, remember what Jesus said? He would destroy this temple. And then he would raise it up again in three days. Well, that happened, didn't it, on Easter morn? They didn't understand, but it happened. And we have been united with Christ in his death. We are also united with Christ in his life. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that the same spirit that filled Solomon's temple, guess what? It's now, it's alive and it's active in his people since the Pentecost day, 2,000 years ago. Also notice in verse 3, the spirit has manifested itself as tongues of fire. We know about fire. Dangerous. Mothers and fathers with small children say it's dangerous to the kids, but it's also very good, isn't it? It's also very good. God has given us, his army, a dangerous weapon. Unlike anything else that our enemy has in their arsenal. With this weapon, with this indwelling of the spirit, we speak the truth. They don't have the truth. We do. We set the world on fire. The preaching of God's word is to warm cold hearts while simultaneously burning away all those vanities of this world. The indwelling of the Spirit produces action. Have a look at verse 4. What do they all do? They all start speaking, for they have something to say. Look at verse 5. Gathered in Jerusalem for this annual Pentecost feast, there were men from all nations, from every nation. Every nation, it says. Well, Luke, the author of the book, goes to describe the countries of their origin. Though it says every nation, there wasn't anybody from China, South America, or the Indian continent. Yet scripture was not wrong. Scripture was not wrong, but we must understand the context. These men visiting Jerusalem were from the known 
world of the Roman Empire, from all those nations that had circled the Mediterranean Sea. Before his ascension, Jesus gave the command to do what? To teach and disciple the nations. And with the commands, Jesus, with the command given, Jesus sends, the, sends his spirit to give us the ability to, to accomplish this command. This command to disciple the nation wasn't some motivational platitude. You know about these motivational platitudes? Reach for the stars, right? That's what it was. It wasn't that. It was serious. He meant it. And now the work has started. He empowers his troops, and then he deploys them. 2,000 years later, God's army, us, we're still advancing his kingdom. Look at verse 7 and 8. The men of these other nations, they're amazed. They're marveled at the hearing of the gospel in their own language, it says, of which they were born. These men who were born in different countries and had a different nationalities, many of them now, are born again. They're taking a different citizenship, a citizenship of heaven. Others in the crowd, amazed at this miracle, they can't understand what's happening. Their eyes have not been opened by the Spirit. And their only recourse is to mock. Look at verse 13. The mockers accredit the ability to speak in foreign languages to these guys who have been partaking of much wine. Understand it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Indeed, many drunkards in their intoxicated state, they think they've assumed superpowers in their drunkenness and are capable of many feats. Yet the sober ones around them, the sober ones in the crowd know them to only be fools. It is the mockers who are drunk. It is they who are drunk. They have imbibed too long on their own pride. If they continue in this state of denial, they'll stumble like a drunkard. They'll stumble through life and fall into eternal damnation. In the rest of chapter 2, which we didn't read, Peter stands up. He stands up and says that what they're witnessing is a wonderful work of God, a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Next, Peter preaches a powerful sermon. Listen to what he says, just a few excerpts. This Jesus whom you killed. This Jesus whom you killed, God has raised him up from the dead. And he is now reigning in, in heaven. With the power from the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches a hot gospel. Fiery words that cause, must have caused some in the audience to hate him. Imagine the side conversations. Imagine the thoughts of some men. How dare you? How dare you say we killed this Jesus? How dare you say he was innocent? We know better. Well, there were others in the crowd of whom the Spirit blew. And they were cut to the heart. And they asked, what must we do to be saved? Not only had the Spirit alighted upon Peter and the apostles, they also, and they spoke with fire, but the same Spirit came upon the hearers that they would believe. The Spirit has shown light upon the dark souls such that they were born again. As a postscript to these events, consider some outcomes. This was the day of Pentecost that had finally come as we read. Men from all these countries had just believed. They confessed that Jesus was Lord and it tells us they were baptized. What happened next? 
Well, we know that the church grew, but what about these men? We're not for sure, but we can guess, imagine, that they followed in the pattern. They went home. They returned to their land, to their native lands. And what did they do? They spoke of the events that they just witnessed. They testified concerning the wonderful things that they had heard. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit as they spoke a fiery message. For this is how the Spirit works. What about us? What about us 2,000 years later? What are we to do with these events? I want to highlight a few applications for us. First, this perplexing question you've heard before. Are you filled with the Spirit? You know the groups. You know the groups that are called by these events. So these Pentecostals would say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. Well, in the famous chapter on love, to the, to the, uh, in the famous chapter on love in the Corinthians, written to the Corinthians in chapter 13, the first epistle, you know what Paul says? Tongues will cease. Tongues will cease. If, we, if you do not speak in tongues, then what is the clear manifestation that you've been filled with the Spirit? Paul gives us the answer as well in that same letter to the Corinthians. For he says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you can only do this with, the, with the, being filled with the Spirit. In our worship today, in our worship service today, we have confessed that Jesus is Lord. This is our proof that the Spirit has blown upon us to give us new life. In this new life, we're submitting to our Lord. You may feel weak in your flesh, but consider the Spirit that inhabits us, the Spirit that came upon them. The Spirit that is within us is the same Spirit that did what at the beginning of creation? It hovered over the world and God's created works and it brought them to be. The same Spirit filled Solomon's temple with the glory that men had to stop and wonder. The same Spirit raised a dead, dead, dead man from the grave. This is the Spirit that lives in us. The Apostle Paul tells us that this Spirit who lives in us is not timid, he's not fearful. When you are timid and you are fearful, this is your flesh. Don't submit to it. Don't submit to it. Lean into the Spirit. Rely on Him. Remember that He's living in you. When, you, when we are weak to ourselves, or shall I say, like remembering that we're dry bones, right? Like Ezekiel's vision. Remember He's given us new life. Call upon Him. Find your strength. Remember the purpose of His strength? The purpose of this strength is that we would be that army. We would be those, like those apostles, empowered by the Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, they spoke in other tongues. Go look at the next 26 chapters of this book, of their acts, of these apostles. It's recorded. What did they do? They went out and they spoke a fiery gospel message all over the world. They showed up in every town... And they proclaimed Jesus as Lord, and they called others to bow the knee. Will you proclaim Jesus as Lord to your neighbor, to your work associates, to your family members living apart from Christ? You too have this same spirit. You have been given this power from on high. I know, I've been there. Some of you will say, but I don't know what to say. 
I don't know what to say. I'm not a theologian. I'm not skilled. I'm not a skilled speaker. Well, <clears throat> you don't need to be seminary trained. Remember, you are filled with the Spirit. Now that you are filled with the Spirit, follow in the paths of the apostles. Speak of God's amazing ways. The work he has done in your life. Tell them of Jesus, that he came and he died and he has given you new life. If you see yourself weak in the flesh, you're at a good starting place. You're at the perfect place. Call upon God to make you bold, to give you wisdom, opportunities to speak. After you've prayed, <clears throat> keep praying and then look for opportunities. The world is full of broken people. They are full of broken people. Get to know them. Take an interest in them, and you soon you will find their brokenness and their pain. You have the cure. That is Christ. You have the Spirit who is bold, who is powerful, who is life-giving. Call upon the Spirit to work in you. Call upon the Spirit to work in them. And then look back, and you will be surprised at how some of your simplest words the Spirit uses. This is how God is pleased to work. Well, I've just described a timid group. And I call on them to trust in the powerful spirit to work in them. There's another group of you out there, right? The confident group. We know what we're doing, right? <clears throat> you've got your gospel track in your pocket. You've memorized the gospel presentation. You've read numerous books on apologetics. And you know how to defend and present the gospel. I'm not speaking about studying. I'm not speaking about the tracks. I'm not speaking about training. What I'm speaking about is where do you put your trust? Where are you putting your trust, in yourself or in God? So, remember the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul, what does he say about himself? He wasn't a pers persuasive speaker, but he spoke the simple truth. He trusted in God and the Spirit brought life. <clears throat> we have the privilege of planting seeds of the gospel. Possibly we have the privilege of watering some seeds, but it is God who makes those seeds rise. So instead of trusting in yourself to bring anybody to new life, based on your skills, trust in the Spirit. Acknowledge yourself to be Spirit-filled. Confess Jesus is Lord. If you're timid, if you're fearful, remember the source of the power that is within you. Do not let the flesh dictate who you are, either in timidity or and the other side in confidence in your flesh. Trust God and loosen your lips that they would speak. Trust God to also send the Spirit to blow upon your hearers that they might live. We are the army of God. God is deploying us to speak the words of truth, to take back this world from the descendants of Adam who do not serve him. Let me close the sermon with highlighting, remember the chain of events that we've just been through. Over the last 50 days, Jesus died. He paid for our sins that we might live. He was resurrected from the grave. He made us alive. These truths are glorious. Jump ahead 40 days to his ascension. This faithful Jesus was lifted to the highest throne. He was given a name above all other names. And with a scepter in hand, with a scepter in hand, he is now ruling this world. He's laughing. Who's he laughing at? Foolish tyrants, descendants of Adam. He is expanding his kingdom, and ten days after ascending to his throne, he dispatches his spirit to this world. 
to inhabit his saints with fiery tongues, that they might proclaim the good news far and wide. So many are enamored with the ability to speak in various tongues. They miss the point. They miss the point as they gather together with others and speak their gibberish. We are called to speak the words of life to this dying world, and we expect some will mock us. However, we should also expect that many will be given this new life as the Spirit blows on them. Congregation of God, or shall I say army of God, are you ready to storm the gates of heaven? Sorry, the gates of hell to do God's work. To that end, let's pray. O oh Lord, our flesh is indeed weak. Through your spirit, make us strong. Give us words of utterance. May our tongues burn with the hot gospel. Use us to advance your kingdom. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.